Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. That's the thing with acne is it's not always due to excess oil production. Yes, that's a part and that's definitely a part with more of the hormonal types, but there's inflammation types of acne, there's infection type where it is not so much related to excess sebum production, but inflammation and infections. Stress is the inflammation that robs us of life, energy, and happiness. Our typical solutions for gut health and hormone balance have let a lot of us down. We're over-medicated and underserved. At The Less Stressed Life, we're a community of health-savvy women exploring solutions outside of our traditional Western medicine toolbox and training to raise the bar and change our stories. Each week, our hope is that you leave our sessions inspired to learn, grow, and share these stories to raise the bar in your life and home. Did you know that The Less Stressed Life is not just a podcast? We're really a virtual private practice that sees clients one-on-one for issues with your gut, skin, energy, and overcoming food sensitivities. Our team gets to do cool tests that you can't or that are often not ordered in standard primary care office visits, and we get to help our clients navigate and interpret those tests to get great results on resolving symptoms. And we've grown to help more one-on-one clients now that we have an amazing registered nurse and registered dietitian working alongside me, another registered dietitian to give our clients better care than most have ever received before. To learn more about the testing we use most often, our process, and lots of testimonials for different symptoms and conditions, please download our anti-inflammatory guide for healing gut, skin, and energy issues at kristabigler.com forward slash gut guide. That's kristabigler.com forward slash gut guide or schedule an introductory case review at kristabigler.com. Okay. Today on The Less Stress Life, we have my friend Robin Johnson, Encore presentation interview from Robin. I don't know if this is the second or third one. She's a functional medicine dietitian nutritionist. Her passion of using food and lifestyle as medicine found her after her own personal battle and triumph with psoriasis. She specializes in helping women optimize their hormones, gut, and skin by finding the root cause to their symptoms. Robin runs a virtual private practice and is the creator of the Clear Skin Lab. Her focus is acne. We're going to be talking all ins and outs of acne today. She believes that healthcare should be individualized and that starts with each person understanding how their body works and what their body truly needs to thrive. Welcome back, Robin. Yeah, I think it is our like fourth time doing this. 
Yeah, probably something like that. I know it's been a lot over the years. You know, last time we got together, I think it was that you're like, hey, there's updated stuff to talk about with acne. And Mm -hmm. acne probably affects a large percentage of people. Do you know what the stats really are there? I don't actually off the top of my head know population wise. It's a lot though. Yeah. Right. Like standing here, we've both experienced acne in our lives. So let's just pretend that most women have experienced acne in some capacity and the amount or how the significance or the severity can really vary. And there's a lot of types. I think you call them things, but acne shows up differently in different places. And we're going to talk about acne types, but maybe first what we should talk about, how did you get so interested in acne as a topic? I think that's kind of a fun. Yeah. So I've, I've always been interested in skin stuff and that's, you know, because of my own story, as are you. And because I was working so much with women's hormones, I just started to see so much acne because it was, you know, those definitely go together. And so I just started to learn more about acne specifically. And while hormones is a part of it, that's not the only cause, which we'll get into. And so I just got more and more fascinated with it. And because it's also a skin condition and I know how skin is not just physical, it's so emotional. And like two out of three women who have acne also experience anxiety and the emotional piece with that. So I just got more passionate about it and it's kind of come from client experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The emotions of skin and things on the outside are very challenging. I think we've had that conversation a a few times, but I sometimes call, you know, I work more on eczema and I will sometimes say it's kind of like weight loss in a way. It's got that vanity. It's just a human behavior. We're all vain people. And so... Yeah, like weight loss, it's often what will drive someone to take action. And there might be, you know, other things going on with their health, but because it's physical, it pushes them to take action. Kind of like hair loss and weight loss. Those all Mm -hmm. are things that we've seen will drive women to make an investment in their health. Right, for sure. Okay. I'm excited to get into the types of acne and how people can deal with them. But what's the typical process when someone is dealing with acne? And they go into, let's pretend the doctor, like what are the options, maybe both over the counter and also medications or what do people usually get for acne if they've gone in to try to get further help? Yeah. So first of all, I kind of want to normalize getting pimples now and again. We're not saying, or I'm not saying you'll never have a zit in your life. Like that's human. We all have pores. What we're talking about more is when you're getting consistent lesions, you know, mild to moderate to severe acne, and it's consistent. So typically what people will start with is topicals, right? Because that's just what we think makes sense. It's a skin issue. So let's just address the skin. So a lot of times people will start just you know, changing their skincare products on their own. Maybe they'll see an esthetician. Maybe they'll see a dermatologist. Maybe they'll just talk to their doctor about it. And depending on their provider, they might then get a topical treatment. They might get something like benzoyl peroxide or a topical antibiotic or something like that. Or depending on the acne severity, they might get a medication like birth control or spironolactone or like oral antibiotics. And if those things aren't working, someone might end up, well, first of all, they typically try multiple things before they might even try something like isotretinoin or Accutane. And so when I'm evaluating someone, I like to know what medications they've tried, what has worked or not worked, even for a short period of time, because that can tell me a bit about what's maybe causing their acne. For example, if spironolactone worked for them, at least for a while, I'm thinking androgens or low potassium because there's a reason spironolactone worked and it's usually because of androgens. And so we can kind of go down that rabbit hole with each medication, but 
that's usually the route people go. And, you know, sometimes that works for them. And sometimes they want to come off birth control. They want to come off their medication. And that's usually when they're talking to me and looking for a deeper root cause of how can I do this without relying on medications for life? I actually do want to go a little bit into the rabbit holes there because if we want to really see and hear people and help them, then maybe they should understand how that medication works a little bit. For example, when people come off spironolactone, that is such a miserable medication to sometimes come off of because it's also a diuretic. So let's talk about what the mechanism of action, you're talking about androgens, but for someone who doesn't necessarily know what that is, talk to us about what the action is that spironolactone is doing in this case. Yes. So like you said, it is a diuretic. So couple mechanisms in which it works. The most commonly talked about mechanism is that it is an anti-androgen medication. So androgens are what we kind of refer to as the male sex hormones, which we could categorize testosterone, DHEA, DHEAS, and spironolactone can reduce those androgens. Androgens is one of the biggest hormonal reasons for acne because it will increase sebum production or oil production in the skin. And so another kind of secondary mechanism is the diuretic piece. It is a potassium sparing medication. Therefore, you're holding on to more potassium. Potassium lowers aldosterone, which is it's something that kind of regulates the adrenal glands, the sodium and potassium in your adrenal glands. Lower aldosterone can lower androgens as well. And so if someone had spironolactone as their medication and it worked, I'm thinking we need to increase their potassium and we need to take a deeper look at their hormone signals. Do they have high androgens and why? And then that's kind of the rabbit hole or the area we would dig deeper into with their case. So I don't know if it looks like this when they go in to see their provider. Do you think that they go on a certain medication first? Is it usually birth control first? Or do you feel like the provider sometimes puts them on spironolactone based on where the acne presents? Because if it is going to be androgen related, the acne is going to produce or it may present or show up in a certain place, right, Robin? Yeah, not all the time. I mean, I definitely see more hormonal acne on the chin jawline area, but you can have hormonal acne and still be on the cheeks. And depending on the severity, I mean, it could be all over. But I would say I see like chest and back acne is more gut related. Forehead acne, I tend to see more gut related. That's not a hard fact by any means. But yes, dermatologists, or from what I've heard in terms of the dermatologists I've spoken to, will make decisions based on how the acne presents. Like, is it cystic and nodule, which tends to be more hormonal and inflammatory? Where is it showing up? And they'll make medication decisions based on that. Or they might make medication decisions based on what is the client already on? Are they on birth control? Like what have they already tried? And sometimes there will be layers of things. And then I don't want to skip over the fact that most people will start with topicals before going down medication routes. Again, that's going to depend on the severity. Well, let's maybe talk about topicals then next. Let's talk about some of the common topicals, pros and cons of those and kind of what they're doing as well. Yeah. And I'll start with a disclaimer that I'm not an esthetician or a dermatologist. So the topical world is something that we work with estheticians on. We have consultants and we have people we refer to as well for the topical piece. But most of the time, people will be put on an anti-inflammatory topical like benzoyl peroxide. Again, that's kind of depending on what the skin appears like. For some, they just need like to take care of their skin. Like They need skin barrier support. They need vitamin C. They need 
SPF. They need to hydrate their skin better. I mean, I know you know the importance of skin barrier for eczema too. Same for acne. We need to take care of the skin. And for some people, it's that simple and their acne will shape up. For others, if it's super inflamed, yes, anti-inflammatories might be in the mix. Antibiotics, topical antibiotics might be in the mix. Again, that just depends on what the skin's looking like. My concern there is that you're not actually getting to the root of the problem. Like, why is the skin inflamed? Why do you need antibiotics to keep the bacteria or fungus or whatever it is in check? Those might help, but I would want to know what the cause of that is still. But yes, yeah. most people go down those routes. Yeah. Why do you have a recurrent infection, infectious area on yeah. your face or and, body? And we know that whatever's happening with the microbiota on the skin is a reflection of what's happening on the inside, right? So typically we're also needing to work with the gut and you know, not just take care of the skin microbiota, but also take care of the full body microbiota. The easiest way to say this is that the skin grows from the inside out, right? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And I am glad you talked about skin barrier support because I saw you talking about this recently and I, you know, it's obviously a thing for eczema because there's a lot of broken skin. And with acne, I hadn't thought about skin barrier support in the same way as I would for other more rashes that are more like have a larger surface area on the body. But it makes sense, right? There's an opening. It's an opening and a, and a place that our skin is being accessed. So you were talking, I think, still a little bit about prescription topicals a little bit, or maybe not completely. And then the other topical people will often buy like the most stuff for acne over the counter is salicylic acid, right? Different actives. Yes. Exfoliants. Mm-hmm. So salicylic acid is one that's known to kind of dig into the pore and pull things out. But there's others like mandelic acid, glycolic acid, lactic acid. There's many sorts of actives, which can be a very important part of acne and exfoliating. However, you need to not add those before you have a good skin barrier because otherwise you might dry out the skin too much, dehydrate the skin, which is just going to create a barrier for more acne and more inflammation. Because then your body wants to overproduce oils, right? Mm -hmm. In its own way. Yeah. And it's not always the oils. It can be the inflammation. It can be that you're not creating good microbiota. That's the thing with acne is it's not always due to excess oil production. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a part. And that's definitely a part with more of the hormonal types, but there's inflammation types of acne. There's infection type where it is not so much related to excess sebum production, but inflammation and infections. Well, let's finish up talking about common medications. So we talked about topicals. We talked about spironolactone, androgens, potassium, aldosterone, the adrenal component. With talking about that, you talked about hormones in general, but sometimes people go on birth control. It's another really common one. So talk to us about, I feel like that is the most common situation I see above all else um, most often. So tell me what you think and what's going on there for people. Yeah. So for women, it's one of the most common things they'll be put on for acne. And the reason it can work is because it's suppressing ovulation. So therefore it is suppressing your hormone production and hormonal acne can come from various reasons. I mentioned before that androgens is a big one. So birth control will suppress testosterone. It will suppress your androgen. So that alone can quote, clear up acne. Granted, it's just suppressing it. But other reasons are for acne could be imbalances with progesterone and testosterone or imbalances with estrogen and testosterone. So again, birth control is just going to mute all of that and make it go away. But most often, the second you come off of it, it's going to come right back if the root issue for why those hormones are imbalanced is not addressed. And the thing with birth control, so many women are terrified to come off of it because there's so much out there about rebounding with acne. And it can happen. I mean, when you come off 
birth control, hormonal birth control, the body has to learn to remake hormones. And sometimes it can overproduce testosterone. So you get, could be three to six months of worsened skin because that testosterone's rebounding. You can often support that if you get the right tools in place first, which I know we'll go into a bit, but it's also kind of part of the process. Your body's learning to get hormones. So time and the right support is key. But overall, the reason birth control can work for acne is because it's suppressing hormones. Okay. Let's touch on Accutane, which is sort of like the more heavy hitter and also the contraindications there. Yeah. So isotretinoin is what it's referred to. And it's a high dose synthetic vitamin A, which we definitely should, we'll talk about vitamin A today with acne. And it's usually one of the last things doctors will use for acne. It works by drying up and shrinking the sebaceous glands, but it doesn't just do that on the face or the area you have acne. It does that everywhere. So some of the long-term effects can be super dry skin, dry eyes, and there can be even bigger or side effects with like IBD or major bowel issues, slower metabolic health, thyroid issues. So it's a strong medication and it can work for some people, not everyone. For some people, they end up going on a couple rounds of it. But again, just like everything else, it's not addressing why acne is happening in the first place. Yeah, it's very tricky because I don't think we realize that it's high-dose vitamin A often, and there are Mm -hmm. topical retinols as well, or maybe you'll call it a little bit something different, but there are topical vitamin A, which even that approach, which we did not talk about those, you need to use pretty gently. You could mess up your skin with those potentially as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, everyone kind of knows, or individuals with acne, they think of retinoids and doctors use synthetic vitamin A with things like Accutane. And with retinoids, you're right. It does depend on the skin. So retinoids are kind of category of the topicals with vitamin A. Some people need to use retinol. Some people can build up to stronger versions like retin-A, which is like a prescription version. That needs to be done with either a medical esthetician or a dermatologist. But the vitamin A conversation with acne isn't new. However, My question is, why are we not talking about the real food version of vitamin A and how we can get this through diet or supplementation is a big nutrient for the topical world and the medication world where our role can be educating people on how important it is through the diet. And we can talk about that later in terms of foods and supplement forms, but vitamin A is a big deal, a big deal for skin in general. I know you know that with like eczema and other skin conditions, but for sure with acne. Okay. I've listed that for talking about later, just so the audience knows we will come back to it because it is a fun conversation. And you said, my complaint is that, hey, why aren't we talking about real food vitamin A? But we could probably almost have that conversation for a lot of nutrients, right? Like there's a better version of a lot of nutrients. And we tend to use like the cheap generic form a lot in medications, don't we? Yes, totally. And so I'll just mention a couple of things that I think could be important. I think, I can't remember if we had a little bit of garble there and I don't remember if you talked about Accutane side effects in which version. So I'll just like reiterate that Accutane can have some longer term side effects with IBD or irritable bowel disease. And that's the one that stands out to me because I just remember having a client who was like, I'm pretty sure this is from my Accutane history that he had that diagnosis. But topical vitamin A it's also contraindicated in pregnancy. So I think we should probably say that out because I think sometimes we get pregnant, we don't realize that we're pregnant for a while. Like that's a really common problem. And topical vitamin A, you can have birth defects from. So anyway, important. 
to talk about with vitamin A both. Yeah. And I would always say run your skincare by a professional if you're pregnant, just because even outside of retinoids, there are some other things that you just want to be safe with. Make sure that you got the go ahead by someone who specializes in that world. Mm -hmm. I still don't know how I feel. There is this, you know, extract. Let's talk about it for a second. Is it baruchial? That's kind of like kind of has the same benefits as vitamin A, but is not a vitamin A. Anything you want to say about it? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm definitely not the expert in that. I do know that that's a product that experts will use in place of retinoids during pregnancy. And I don't know a comparison in terms of effectiveness. I'm definitely not the expert there, but it's definitely a, a swap. Sure. Well, I think we talked about the medications, the topicals. We made sure we touched on the contraindications, which is important. We'll come back to vitamin A from more our perspective in a little bit. And you've alluded to acne types. So let's go ahead and why don't you lay the land for us on acne types? Yeah. So when I'm referring to acne types, I'm really talking about the different root causes that can cause acne. So we've got hormonal acne, we've got infection acne, inflammation acne, stress acne, and irritant acne. I mean, we can break them down if you want, but those are named based on potential root causes. So with irritant, it's usually, that one's usually something people figure out before they come to me. Honestly, it's usually topical based. It's like you have an allergy to a topical product or ingredient, or you are touching your face a lot, or your pillow or a pet is causing it. It's usually more topical triggered. Inflammation is obviously named inflammation triggered. Infection is often related to the gut or some sort of systemic infection. And hormonal is a various hormonal triggers. And with hormonal, we have a breakdown of, is it insulin triggered, which is a hormone? Is it androgen triggered? Is it estrogen progesterone triggered? And then we could even potentially lump like thyroid in there as well. And then stress acne is typically when people are noticing stress is increased in their life and they're getting a breakout and they've kind of ruled out the other factors. All right. So, but can't you have the, I would imagine that there's overlapping root causes between these root causes, right? Like what, what's going on in the manifestation? Like they're noticing that stress triggers it. And what are some potential mechanisms that are happening? Yeah. So a lot of it can come down to nutrient depletion, at least with the stress piece. So the mechanisms end up kind of connecting. So for example, insulin is a very well-known trigger for increasing sebum production. So why would someone's insulin be elevated? I mean, we could go to the basics of poor diet, inflammatory diet, irregular blood sugar, but we also need a lot of minerals for insulin sensitivity, and we need to not be in a state of chronic stress. So minerals like potassium and magnesium and calcium. If you're chronically stressed, then you're more likely to deplete those minerals and more likely to have high insulin and more likely potentially see acne because of that. For like, let's go through another mechanism with androgens. It's a gray one. And I feel like it would overlap a lot too. Yeah. And inflammation is usually goes with other types of acne. And so let's say someone has some excess sebum production, then you get inflammation added in there, either topically on the skin because of something with the skin barrier or a infection on the skin, or you have systemic inflammation internally or something like iron overload that's triggering oxidative stress, then that 
inflammation combined with excess sebum production is going to create a more moderate or even severe acne. So this is when people notice they have red or purple or just very inflamed acne versus something like little whiteheads. Mm-hmm. Those are just very different types, very different mechanisms that are going on. And inflammation acne is typically in terms of medication supported by antibiotics because those also have an anti-inflammatory properties, topical anti-inflammatories like benzoyl peroxide or even Accutane will have anti-inflammatory properties. So those are some of the medications people will see help in inflammation types. Now, obviously our role is to help suppress the inflammation internally or find out why is it there in the first place and be able to calm that down topically and from the inside out. Totally. Okay. Since we're talking about root causes and we're kind of in that rabbit hole and talking about minerals and all these things. Let's just go into halogens. This was something that I felt like you added to the puzzle in the last like year or two. Cause it's always like, man, can we ever stop learning? No, the answer is no. (laughs) And I don't ever want to either because otherwise we get bored with what we're doing. So there's always like something new to learn or like a piece that's like, how did I live without this piece? So talk to us about halogens, the 411 there. Yeah. I mean, you're right. There's things that you'll learn and that changes the way that you practice, which is exciting to me. And then you're thinking about the 10 clients that make sense with this and that you need to go tell Uh because of what you're learning. But halogens are things like iodine, fluoride, bromide. They're in, if you look on the periodic table, they're in the same halogen group. And the reason this can connect to acne is because these halogens compete. They compete at the receptor level. So when we are imbalanced with these, it can impact the skin in a couple different ways, definitely with acne, but even sometimes with like rashes and, you know, other skin conditions because of that receptor competition. So a lot of people nowadays, at least in the United States, are getting a lot more fluoride and bromide because of our water and food. So fluoride is depending on the county you live in. Fluoride is often added to the water, toothpaste. There's some like wine products, some dairy products. It's just in our food supply a lot and water system. And bromide is added to a lot of uh, flour products. So we get a lot of those in our day-to-day unless you're kind of screening for it. But then when we look at iodine, especially people who are being more health-minded, they often switch to like a mineralized salt, like a Himalayan or Celtic salt, which doesn't have added iodine. And even iodized salt, there's some information about the accuracy in the iodine that they claim it has, because if it sits in your cupboard for a year, it just reduces the iodine over years. So in general, people are getting a lot of bromide and fluoride, but not a lot of iodine. And I know there's controversy there, which is probably another podcast, but if you have high amounts of fluoride and bromide, it can trigger acne. I can't remember the name of who coined the term fluoroderma, but it's essentially the skin reaction to fluoride. Not everyone is sensitive to it. Not everyone has the same response, but it is a factor to consider, especially if you notice that your acne is more located around the mouth. This is something even with perioral dermatitis that I've seen. And the solution is to learn and minimize fluoride and bromide resources as able, you're not going to be hundred percent with it. And then strategically and carefully increase your iodine intake. So, I mean, that's kind of the gist, but there's some caveats with it. And I would say work with a provider if you're concerned about it or have more questions because adding iodine 
is controversial. And especially if you have any thyroid issues, you want to be super smart with it, but it definitely can play a role in the skin. All right. I'm going to like kind of recap that in similar and different words a little bit. So we've got these competing halogens, fluoride, iodine, or iodide and bromide or bromine. I had this client who I think was an engineer and the company did a lot of bromine, bromide things. And I have to go back and see if I can find some notes from him because he was like, oh yeah, it's in soda and it's in like just a lot of things. And that was the, my point of the story is you can't see it. And I know you know this, but there was a time in maybe the seventies, I don't know if that was the decade where they were putting iodine in flour and then they were getting too much. I the FD is like, Ooh, I don't think you should do that. So they swapped it out for bromide instead. So there's just that hidden, as you already said, that hidden source in the commercial baked goods essentially. And it's not in the ingredient label. So that's impacting or competing for iodine receptors. So I'm going to give a caveat here. I don't remember if you said this, but I think you would want to say you need to have someone maybe monitoring uh, thyroid health or understanding if your thyroid health is okay. I had a pretty good podcast about that pretty recently with Lacey Dunn. But what I would say there is that, man, that is not straightforward, unfortunately. I really wish it was. But so one, I'd have you go listen to that episode. But the very, very quick two-sentence version is that I just don't think that we are drawing full thyroid labs ever. When you ask for your thyroid to be drawn, it's like TSH and maybe a T4. Um, so not comprehensive. There's multiple more markers that could be checked. And even when they look like they're in range, they can still be suboptimal. So just understanding what the thyroid is doing because it's part of the dance in this conversation. And then limiting your fluoride and bromide sources by doing whole unprocessed stuff is going to be probably one of the easier ways to limit it, right? That's those. That's the simplest way to talk about it. And adding iodine to your diet, which if we're doing dietary sources, it's typically the safest thing to do. And you would do that with like dulse flakes or kelp, which you could throw into soup. Would you add anything to that or correct me on anything? I mean, those are the best ones, fish, sea vegetables. Yeah. And you nailed it. Thyroid antibodies are especially important to monitor if you're adding iodine. And I would say when I'm saying monitor that, that's if you're adding like higher dose. I'm not necessarily concerned with putting kelp flakes on something. There is a lot of talk out there about iodine being a trigger for acne. And if you look at like food lists to avoid, if you you know do the Google search, many people will say don't eat iodine sources if you have acne. I don't believe acne is the trigger. I believe that the reason you might experience acne with iodine is because it's pushing out bromide or fluoride. And that's the problem. Iodine is not the problem. It's the whole imbalance with the halogens. All right. Scream it from the rooftops. It's not iodine's fault. This is, we're very simpletons sometimes. Like we want X to equal Y. And there's such a bigger, like there's such a more substantial push-pull for everything, like pretty much. And this is why I get really excited about nutrients in general, because one, I think they're amazing. And we pretty much medically treat stuff that are nutrient deficiencies all the time. But when you supplement with something, for example, there's a push pull with other things and not understanding that. And just like doing something long-term typically doesn't work out, I guess. So I don't know if that's helpful, but like, it's okay to clean up processed sources or intake, which is going to be a source of fluoride and bromide and do some food-based iodine. I think like you probably are going to be fine all the way around for the majority of people, right? Like we can't ever say anything definitively, but if we're cleaning up diet, I mean, you'd have to be eating a whole heck of a lot to have an issue. The the jury is out because no one's really testing this, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> but we do add iodine. I mean, oh, and I don't even want to touch on that, right? Because this is why it's so complicated because it's like, well, we add iodine to salt, but I don't know if you even want to touch that at all. Yeah, there's so much even sketchy research on why iodine is almost demonized now or so people are so fearful of it. And actually the study that a lot of those decisions are based on to remove iodine from bread and all, and all that stuff or flour was a study that was done on rats where they gave them iodine, then they removed their thyroid, blended it up and took measurements from that. I mean, it was just not optimal studies yeah. to make those types of decisions about. There's a whole lot of history around the whole iodine fluoride bromide conversation that we don't have time for today, especially for skin stuff. It's usually simple enough to just filter your water. Like if you have fluorinated water in your county, get a fluoride filter, change your toothpaste or use products that don't have fluoride and start to increase some iodine food sources. Like that can be the simple tip. Right. And make sure your filter filters that particular thing, which you said, but not all filters filter the things that you think you're filtering. So that would just be a comment to make there. All right. Let's talk about starting places, like where to start for supporting acne from the inside out. Can I start please with supporting going off of hormonal birth control so you don't have necessarily rebound? What would you say about it? Yeah. And honestly, a lot of this would overlap whether you're going off hormonal birth control or not. But with some tips for hormonal birth control, I would say nutrients. I mean, hormonal birth control does deplete a variety of nutrients, especially minerals. So optimizing minerals through nutrition, through mineral mocktails, which we can talk about through supplementation, if you want to do something like a prenatal of some sort or other supplements. So that's a big one is repleting, taking care of the gut because hormonal birth control can disrupt the gut microbiota. So fiber-rich foods, prebiotics as tolerated, and sometimes a probiotic like megaspore, something like that. And then for some people, some extra liver support is necessary, but I wouldn't say that's an automatic for everyone. So we'll just leave those as the initial tips. Mm -hmm. And to reiterate what you're saying, if you have a change in gut microbiota, you're not going to utilize the nutrients from your food and absorb it quite as well, which reiterates what you said about nutrient deficiencies, which are common with, we have known nutrient deficiencies and there can be overlap. Like you need nutrients or nutrients are the raw materials for making hormones of all types. And so anyway. Yeah. And off that, the bacteria in your microbiota are also important for the immune system. So in terms of calming down inflammation, having a good immune response, you also need bacteria variety for that. All right. Let's talk about food changes, eliminations, and does everyone with acne need to go dairy-free and when does it help? And when is it like, okay, this helped and it doesn't help anymore. Let's talk about that situation. Yeah. So a lot of people will start with elimination diets, which I understand. And that's actually something we talk about inside the Clear Skin Lab course is what categories of foods are studied or are more connected to acne. Dairy can be one of them. Yes. But I would not say it's a forever thing. Most of the time, once you build that foundation, you've got better minerals, you're balancing your blood sugar, you're I mean, doing the things we'll talk about here for acne, most people can add dairy back in, at least quality dairy. Of course, there are some people that are going to have a sensitivity and or an allergy and it's just not a fit. But I don't want to send the message that to clear acne, you have to be dairy-free for life because I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. However, when your body's dysregulated, you might be more sensitive to things. And I'm specifying cow's dairy here. Most people are fine with goat or sheep. You might be more sensitive to cow's dairy, high amounts of sugar, for some people, gluten can be just an inflammation trigger. Unhealthy fats like vegetable oils, canola oils, those types of things are kind of where I would start if someone did an elimination diet. 
But again, it doesn't have to be perfect. And the goal is to be able to widen the diet as much as possible once your body's in a better spot. Why is cow dairy harder for people than goat or sheep? Yeah, there's some different theories around why dairy is a trigger. For some, it's talked about in terms of an insulin trigger. For some, it's talked about just an inflammation trigger. And there's even some connections to fluoride because certain dairy products, like when they're making skim milk, it is mixed with water. And some of those milk solids, if they're using fluorinated water, it becomes a concentrated milk solid with fluoride. So there's some talk about that potentially being why acne can be... or why dairy can be a trigger. I mean, that's really what I know of so far. There's controversial research on cow's dairy being a trigger, but clinically I have definitely seen it. And I've definitely seen people who once they pull it out, it's like their skin calms down like crazy. Mm -hmm. That's great though, to uh, tolerate dairy someday. So I just like, I'm here to reiterate along with you is that it's nice when we can correct the root cause things that help us to digest and tolerate dairy a little bit better and enjoy it again at, at some point. So Yeah, especially, I mean, it is a nutrient-dense food if tolerated. In terms of minerals, it's got good calcium, it's got magnesium, it's a source of vitamin A, it can be a source of iodine. So it, if tolerated, it can be a great addition, but I understand there's a lot of hate towards it for various reasons. Sure. And it, for some, can be a temporary trigger for acne if, sure. if the root issues isn't supported. Yeah. You know how it is. We like to talk out of both sides of our mouth because it's like in a positive way, right? Like, Hey, I know that we're taking dairy away right now. is awesome, but wouldn't it be great to tolerate it later in life if you, if you address some of the other things? It's totally up to you, but I just like cheese. All right. Let's talk about anything in the acne. What is up with acne supplements? What are in those that maybe now is the time to talk about vitamin A in its forms and why you want to talk about that, why it's important, that stuff? Yeah. So hair, skin, and nail products are not something I would recommend. Most of the time, they're pretty poor forms. They're not effective doses. They focus on some highlight nutrients like biotin or certain B vitamins, but it's not a full picture. And it's missing some really important nutrients that are actually going to impact skin. So in terms of what to do, we in our program really teach starting with minerals. And this can be through food. We teach about mineral mocktails, which is basically just like a drink you can make to get good potassium, magnesium, and sodium. And then, so that should be kind of a daily practice to start because those cell or those nutrients are going to impact cellular health, which is really like the root place to start for supporting anything, including your skin. Another really important nutrient that we talk about is vitamin A. So vitamin A is important for like directly in your skin, but it's also important for making energy, fertility, sex hormone health, and thyroid health. And those things can also indirectly impact skin. Like we talked about the sex hormones earlier, thyroid health can impact acne, so vitamin A is a is a big one to focus on, and unfortunately, most people don't get enough in their day-to-day because the food sources are things like beef liver or liver in general, egg yolks has a small amount, dairy has a small amount, but people aren't focusing on those foods. And if you have acne, most people are removing dairy. So some of the research done around vitamin A and acne uses pretty high doses from things like 3,000 micrograms which that part's not crazy high, up to 90,000 micrograms, insanely high doses. And in our program, we teach using real food versions of vitamin A. We teach using like beef liver supplementation or increasing 
amounts through food as tolerated. But it's a big one to focus on for acne, and sometimes you need a supplement version to move things along faster. It will also really help the speed in which your skin heals if you have lesions like vitamin A is a big one to speed that healing up. So that is one of the most important ones we talk about in the program. We also talk about vitamin E, especially if you have more hormonal acne because that will help the estrogen and androgen imbalance. So those are a few that I would give attention to. And then some people could benefit from things like a probiotic or prebiotic support in food and or supplementation. Cool. And do you think we were clear on saying you were talking about food-based vitamin A, but I want to make sure people aren't thinking we're talking about beta carotene, which is not this active animal form. We're talking about the kind that your liver would convert or getting it from food, which is like an animal form because it's already converted by an animal's liver. Yeah. And if you, if people Google vitamin A form foods, you're probably going to see things like oranges and sweet potatoes and carrots. That's beta carotene. It's an antioxidant. It's be important to get that, but not everyone converts beta carotene into real vitamin A effectively. And especially if you've got skin issues of any sort, in my opinion, you need to be focusing on real vitamin A, which is not the same. That is definitely liver, egg yolks, dairy. There's not a plant-based form of real vitamin A. Because it's how to be converted by a liver, which only thing only animals have. <laughs> so we talked about Topicals, common medications, we talked about the five top acne types, we talked about halogens and fluoride and iodine, and then also starting places for acne. Anything else that you need to leave people with, and then we will let them know where people can find you online. We hit some big parts. I would say if people are just kind of like, where do I start with all this? Start with minerals. Start with minerals and start with optimizing sleep, taking care of your stress. No matter what your symptom is, even beyond acne, the starting place is always going to be cellular health, and minerals are like my go-to for that. So if there's one takeaway, I would say, use mineral mocktails, eat mineral-rich foods, and start there. Cool. Cellular health. I love it. And I went ahead and found the link on your website for the mineral mocktail guide. Robin's got an awesome mineral mocktail guide, so I put the link for that into the show notes. And how can people find you online? Nutrition by Robin. Robin with a Y is where I'm at all over the place. And that's where you'll find those mineral mocktail links. And scroll through my highlights. I have a ton of information on there. If you're struggling with acne specifically, check out the Clear Skin Lab Instagram page. The Clear Skin Lab is the self-paced program we have to help teach people how to address acne from a root cause. And so that has its own page that focuses just on acne. And you can go down rabbit holes on either of And they can find out what kind of acne type they have for free with the quiz there. So, Yep, that'll lead you to your most dominant type. And then if you wanted to explore the Clearson Lab, theclearsonlab.com is the website. And like I said, that is a self-paced course for how to support acne from the root causes. Thanks so much for coming on today and giving us an update on acne, Robin. Thanks for having me again. Sharing and reviewing this podcast is the best way to help us succeed with our mission to help integrate the best of East and West and empower you to raise the bar on your health story. Just go to reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. That's reviewthispodcast.com forward slash less stressed life. And you'll be taken directly to a page where you can insert your review and hit post.